Thank you, Sharon. Good morning. It's a pleasure to see everyone here in morning worship at First Church. We'd like to welcome all our radio listeners this morning, and if you're a guest or visitor joining us for the service, we're glad that you're here. It's also nice to see everyone in attendance this morning after a busy week at the at the fair. So I know everybody probably had a good time, good food, and a lot of good activities were, were had last week. Uh, just a few announcements. The rose on the altar this morning in his honor of Jerry and Sue Lehman. They will celebrate 53 years of marriage on August the 6th. So congratulations to Jerry and Sue if you have a chance to speak with them. The gathering is a small discussion group that digs a little deeper into the previous Sunday scripture passages and sermon messages using Pastor Joel's weekly questions. During the summer, they are meeting on the second Wednesday of each month, and on August 8th, they will meet in the social room. All are invited, and that uh, starts at 6.30 p.m. Uh, we are also excited to have Sarah Cheney this morning uh, for our offertory music, so we want to make an, a welcome to her, and uh, Sarah is, uh, is Sharon's daughter, so we're looking forward to, to the music later in the service. Just also a note, the blue jug is located on the front steps by the organ to my left. Um, that was from Shannon Rediger. Uh, through the giving last week, uh, she was able to raise $700 towards her second mission trip to India. So we'll want to keep Shannon in our continued prayers and support her as you feel led. And also in your bulletin, there is an update on the heating system uh, from the trustees. Uh, we'd like to also thank Bob, Ned, and Doug for their continued hard work. Uh, through the project, and also keep them in your prayers as we continue through the project planning. Now, if you'd please stand and join me in the call to worship taken from Psalm 5. Listen to my words, Lord. Consider my lament. Hear my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. For you are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, the bloodthirsty and deceitful. You, Lord, detest. But I, by your great love, can come into your house. In the reverence I bow down towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with malice. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they tell lies. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their, let their intrigues be their downfall. Banish them from their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing joy. Spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. Surely, Lord, bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor. Shield. And now remain standing and take out your hymnals to blue hymnals to number eight. Praise the Lord, the Almighty.
if you'll take a moment and greet your neighbor as Nikki Rohrball comes forward for this morning's children's chat. All right. Good morning, everybody. I was terribly awake. <laughs> All right. I have two plates. They're like lives. First one, it's whole and beautiful. I picked it because it had this nice pattern on it. It's pretty nice, isn't it? Okay. What's up with this one? It's very broken, isn't it? It's really, really broken. Well, if this was a life, sin does that. It breaks things. Takes something that was perfectly nice and it breaks it into pieces. But the good news is, is that God's love and forgiveness makes it so this life isn't ruined. He can fix it. Just like glue. So, all I have to do... Let's throw my glue stick across the room. Let's see here. If I start doing this, what's happening? Yeah. Is it starting to go back together, though? Yeah. Yeah. See? Yeah. See, even though God can fix this, it's never going to quite look the same. It's always going to see... Where it was broken, right? See? You're right. And even though this will never quite be the same, you'll always be able to see where God fixed it. And if I put enough glue on there, I could be able to use it again. But these cracks and these lines in our lives become our stories and testimonies where we can show others how God fixed us. And how God made things better. And then all of a sudden, what was broken isn't broken anymore. Does that make sense? All right. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for fixing broken things. Thank you for teaching us that no matter how broken, you put the pieces back together by offering your forgiveness and love. Please keep us safe and grow our faith. Amen. Thanks, guys. Lost in the last week in our service at Laurenburg, North Carolina, Sergeant Major Christopher Nelms, 46, from Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Private Jeremy Wells, 19, from Adairsville, Georgia. And in Spangdalem Air Force Base in Germany, Staff Sergeant Justin Vandervoort, 29, from Orange, California. Thank you, Jay. Before we go to the Lord in prayer this morning, I want to just take a moment and 
encourage you all to continue to be uh, praying our prayer covenant together this summer. Um, I know many of you have been participating in that, that card, which I forgot to bring up with me to show you all, but I know many of you got that in, in your bulletin. Oh, and it's on the wall over there. Thank you, Connie, for that reminder. Uh, the prayers on the wall over there, many of you have one of those cards, and we encourage you to tuck it in your Bible or put it in a place where you can see it. Uh, and I encourage you to, to continue to be praying that. We're, we're about at the halfway point. Um, of the of the covenant this summer and so i want to just take a moment and encourage you this is the point where a lot of times we start to kind of drift off it, it becomes easier uh to to not do that so i just want to encourage you to continue to be praying continue to be lifting up uh yourself that one other person you had in mind as well as your you know other family members and in, in this church in prayer um it is such an important thing prayer is the lifeblood of what we do here it's uh it's not meant to be an add-on it's meant to be a part of everything we do as a church and as the body of Christ. And so uh, this is just one way we're able to do that together this summer. So I want to encourage you to be continuing to pray that. And along with that, um, every week in our bulletin, we have a list of names uh, that represent different concerns uh, and different prayer needs that are there in our church and our community. And I don't want you to, to neglect those either. Um, those names represent real problems, whether it's health related or, or I mean, it could be a variety of things. Um, so we encourage you to, to, to keep praying for those names, continue to be faithful and lifting them up to the Lord, because that's such an important thing to do as well. Uh, many of those names uh, may have been on there for, for an extended period of time, um, and some of them may be new week to week. So it's, a, it's always a good thing to check out those names and be lifting those situations up to the Lord together, just like we're about to do. So would you pray with me? Father, you are good, um, and you are the, the provider of all that we have, and all the good things in this life are all gifts from you. And so we thank you for that, first and foremost, Lord, for, for how you provide and how you sustain our lives, and, and the gift of life itself, Lord. Uh, everything comes from you, and, and, and for that we praise you and thank you, and we give you all of the glory like you deserve. Lord, apart from you, we would be lost. Apart from you, we would have nothing. And so we thank you and praise you in particular for your son, Jesus Christ, and, and the salvation that has made, been made possible through his death and his resurrection. That is the greatest gift of all. And we praise you for that. And, and I pray that everyone that hears the, the sound of my voice, whether we're here in this room or, or those listening on the radio, uh, would be able to know and experience the peace and the hope and the joy that comes from knowing you and, and putting our trust in you. Lord, we also uh, pray for the concerns that are listed and represented by those names on the bull- in the bulletin, Lord. Uh, Lord, you know what's going on. Even if the details aren't there, Lord, you know exactly what's, what's needed in those situations. You know what's going on. And so we pray that you would work in those situations, that you would, your grace would be made known, your healing would be made known, that your spirit would be present with each person there, and that in all things, Lord, your will would be done. Lord, we often have an idea of what we think is best and what we want to see happen. Uh, but Lord, we trust you and know that you that your will is what's best for us. And so as, as hard as that may be to let go, Lord, we do that this morning. We let go of our own wills and our own desires and submit ourselves to you and pray that your will would be done. Lord, we also want to take a moment and, and just pray for, for um, different areas in our, in our community and different areas in our own lives that may need your attention. I want to pray especially for marriages, Lord, and pray that you would sustain and strengthen marriages in our, in our community, in our church, Lord, wherever it's needed. We pray that you would strengthen those bonds, um, Lord, and, and, and create healthy marriages, Lord, here in this community and in this church. Uh, Lord, that marriage is a reflection of the love that you have for us. And so we pray that we would be good 
witnesses of that in our own marriages and that you would use those connections and use those relationships, Lord, to, to draw us to yourself and make us holy as well. Uh, Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with offering to come forward at this time, and we're so blessed to have Sarah Cheney and providing their music for us this morning.
remain standing this morning for the scripture reading from Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 36. And I'd invite you to follow along in your Bible if you're able. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian city, the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. Now, as you remain standing and sing hymn number 229, Our God Reigns.
Father, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather here and to worship you together as one body with one voice, uh, singing your praises, uh, lifting our concerns and our, our praise up to you in prayer, and now taking a look at your word together and what it has to say for us this morning. I pray that you'd give me words to speak, help uh, the message you have for us come out clearly, and I pray that all that are here gathered and listening on the radio, Lord, would, would hear uh, with open hearts and open minds what you have to say for us and say to us this morning. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. I know this may be a very dangerous question, and I don't need to have any, any responses out loud because I'm not sure how that would go, but if we were to send out a survey into our community into the surrounding communities, and simply asked people to describe what they thought First Church was all about, what kind of responses do you think we'd get? If we were to ask our neighbors or, or those that, uh, you know, in our surrounding areas, what is, what's First Church all about? What's our purpose? What's our goal? Why are we here on Sunday morning gathered what kind of response do you think we'd get? Hopefully it's good, right? Hopefully there's some, there's some positive things that would come out of that. Uh, I'm not going to be so naive to think we won't get any negative responses because I'm sure that would probably happen as well. That's just the, the reality of, of life, and, and we're not perfect by any means here at First Church. Uh, but it'd be interesting to see what kind of response we'd get because cause that would indicate to us what how our community and how the surrounding areas perceive what we're all about. What our goal is as a church, what we stand for, those sorts of things. That was really the, the focus of a book by David Kinneman called Unchristian. It came out years ago, I think back in about 10 or 12 years ago now. Obviously, he wasn't writing a book about First Church, but he was trying to get the perception of Christianity from non-Christians people that did not grow up inside the church, people that had no connection to, to the church whatsoever. And he was trying to get an idea of what, quote-unquote, outsiders would look and understand, or, or how outsiders would perceive the Christian faith. And there were some very interesting findings, and, and I, don't, uh, I don't need to, to go into detail about that here this morning. If you'd like to, to read the book, it is very, it's a very good and very interesting read. Uh, but it was also eye-opening. Because the perception of the Christian faith was not all that great from outsiders, from that group of young people that he was, he was surveying in particular. Uh, there were things like hypo- hypocrites, uh, uh, things like uh, being too legalistic or uncaring. Those are some of the common themes that came out of Christianity in general in their minds. But if you were to ask someone from within the church, how they, what they understood our mission and our goal and our values to be, you'd get a very different picture. Maybe there'd be some overlap. I'm not going to deny that, but, but you get a different picture uh, from those who claim to be Christ followers than those who may be outside of the faith at this time. See, we have a problem that we're often misunderstood as Christians. Uh, and that's a misunderstanding that we often maybe uh, uh, perpetuate ourselves but it's all a misunderstanding nonetheless. We don't always represent Christ well, right? We don't, we, sometimes we shoot ourselves in the foot when it comes to that. 
But also, we don't want to, and the reason I bring that up this morning, the reason I want to talk with you about being misunderstood is because as Christ followers, the last thing we want to do is hinder the gospel by being misunderstood. The last thing we want to do is hinder our mission by, by misrepresenting Christ or misrepresenting what our main focus is as a church and as followers of Christ. See, it's important that we keep the main thing the main thing. It's important that we focus on the gospel and focus on the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and not be uh, misunderstood in that mission or in that goal. Another question I want you to, to just think about this morning is, is if you were to um, fill in the blank in this sentence, just think about how you would fill in the blank there. Uh, they will know we are Christians by our blank. They will know we are Christians by the kind of music we listen to. They will know we are Christians by the kind of clothes we wear. They will know we are Christians by the way we treat other people. Right? No, that's not what we, we should be known for. We should be known for our love, the, the love that God has for us that then outflows from us to those around us. We should be, they should know we are Christians by our love, representing God's love for us in our communities and in our world. And I bring all this up this morning because the, the, the situation Paul finds himself in in Jerusalem, um, he's really being misunderstood in this passage. There were some uh, Jewish leaders from Asia, it says here, that were in, in Jerusalem at the same time as Paul. And after he'd been there for about a week or so, they began to stir up this mob and stir up this angry crowd to, to persecute Paul. And, and um, they even begin to beat him. And it says here in, in, in this passage that the reason they do so, he says, they accuse him in verse 28. Uh, this man, this is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. That's their accusation. They thought that Paul, whether they were intentionally trying to stir up the crowd or whether they truly did misunderstand his mission, they were thinking that Paul was against the people of God, that Paul's ministry was against the things of God. And so he was trying to stir up trouble in these different areas. And it's a common accusation back in in Acts chapter 17 when Paul was in Thessalonica uh, that he was accused of, of turning the whole world upside down. Everywhere Paul went, they accused him of, of preaching against God and against his people. They, caused, they accused him of creating chaos, upsetting the norm and disrupting the status quo. See, you have to understand, resistance to change is understandable. I love the status quo, right? We all do. We naturally are inclined to just keep going in the same direction. It's comfortable to stay the same. But we cannot allow our aversion to change to hinder the work of the gospel. We can't allow our, our avoidance of, of uncomfortable situations or uncomfortable things to, to prevent us from doing the work that God has called us to do. Some change is necessary and good. They accused Paul of, of creating chaos when in actuality Paul was preaching a gospel of peace. A gospel of peace between God and man and between, between God's people and the surrounding world. Peace that comes from being made whole in Christ, being made new in Christ because of what he's done for us. And so really, they were a misunderstanding the very core of Paul's message and the gospel itself. 
And so that's why it's important for us as Christians, um, especially us in, in, at First Church of New Knoxville in this community, we want to be clear about the message of the gospel. We don't want our message and our, our ministry to be misunderstood because when that happens, then, then the gospel is hindered from going out. Notice here later on in this passage, again from Acts 21, that you heard Clinton read for us just a few minutes ago. Uh, this crowd gets, gets um, riled up and they begin to actually attack Paul. And when, when the Roman officers see what's happening, they rush in and, and stop them from beating Paul. And in verse 33, it says, The commander came up and arrested him, speaking of Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. You know, when I first read this passage, I skimmed, I skipped right over that passage, but that's key to understanding what's going on here. See, the crowd was saying Paul was doing one thing, and they were actually part of the crowd was saying Paul was doing something else. And obviously Paul had his own testimony, his own story to share. And with all of that confusion, with all of that uproar, the officer couldn't get at the truth. How often do we hinder the truth from getting out because we're causing an uproar of, of one thing or another? We're misunderstood or we don't do a great job at seeking after the gospel as our first priority and, and it prevents the truth from being made known. It prevents the truth from getting out. And so it's important for us to know the truth to be able to stand firmly in that and then be able to share that with the world around us. We can't, we can't be on a mission for Christ. We can't share the gospel if we first don't understand it ourselves. And so one more question, and I promise this is the last question and answer portion of my sermon here. But think to yourself here. Can you answer this question for yourself, honestly? What is the gospel? You know, why did Jesus die? Why, what does it mean to be a Christian? And how can, we, how can we experience the peace of God in our lives? See, the thing is, if we can't answer those questions for ourselves, how can we ever pass that along to someone else? How can we ever be clear about the gospel of Jesus Christ if we can't, if we can't articulate it on our own? See, we need to be disciples who make other disciples. And so therefore, we need to be equipped to to share the truth, excuse me, we need to be equipped with the truth so that we're not misunderstood ourselves. So often perception is reality. And though, you know, we're striving, I'm, I, I don't want this to come off in a, in a negative way because I believe we as a church are, are really striving to, to stand on the truth and to be going in that direction. And I'm really excited about where God has us right now and where God is, is preparing us to go in the future. And I think that's a wonderful thing. But we don't want to ever become comfortable. We don't want to ever become complacent because the moment we do that is the moment we begin to lose that, that mission and that focus. And so we always want to be striving to serve God. We always want to be striving to, lo- striving to love God, love others, and make disciples. And so in order to do that, we need to know what we believe. We need to stand firm on that and be able to share that with the world around us. And so Paul here is accused of of three things. He's accused of teaching against the people of God. He's accused of teaching against the law of God. And he's accused accused of teaching against the temple of God. And it's neat. Paul was very, had been very clear in his ministry. He's not against those things in the sense that these people accused him of. 
Instead, Paul preached about the fulfillment of those things in Christ. Paul didn't bring chaos. Instead, to a chaotic and broken world, he preached peace and reconciliation and healing in Christ. You see, people, because of our sin, and I love Nikki's demonstration here, that was completely uncoordinated. She told me this morning, I'm off script, but really it fits in perfectly here. Because of our brokenness, like that dish up here, um, it creates not only a, a disruption and separation between us and God, but it also creates a disruption between us and other people. You know, the problem with, with uh, relationships in, in such as marriages or good, close friendships or, or the relationship between a parent and a child, any of those close relationships, the problem, the reason why those are so difficult at times and why problems arise so much in those, those close intimate relationships is because it's two sinful people trying to live life together. And when that happens, it's going to be difficult. Sin creates tension and friction and conflict. And so, and so a perfect marriage is not about a marriage that is, is free of conflict or free of, of any sort of issues. It's, it's one that knows how to deal with it faithfully and knows how to handle that conflict or handle that, that problem, whatever it may be, in a, in a God-honoring and, and, and others-honoring kind of way. That's what a good and healthy marriage is. But... but that's besides my point this morning. Uh, the, the problem, though, is that people in general have been divided and broken by sin, but it's through Christ that we've been made one and been reconciled to God first and foremost, but also to each other. You know, Paul, like Jesus during his ministry, was accused of hanging out with the wrong crowd. They had seen Paul in this passage. They accused him of, of, of bringing one of his Gentile friends into the temple. That may seem like a, a strange comment at that time, though. The, the temple was divided into different courts, and there was the court of the Gentiles, which anybody and everybody was welcome to come in. But then there was also that, that inner court that was meant to be just for God's people, just for the people of Israel. And so Paul was accused of, of, of bringing one of his Gentile friends into that area just because they had seen him hanging out with them throughout the week. And throughout his ministry, Paul faced opposition uh, for his apparent disregard for Jewish laws and customs, this just being the most recent of them. And it was their focus on these things that caused division, focused on those man-made traditions and separations that became the focus. But those man-made traditions were no longer significant because of Christ. There was no need to separate Jew or Gentile anymore because God has made us one in Christ, reconciled all of our broken sinfulness and made one new person out of us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, Paul talks about that in more detail. And I want to read that passage for you this morning. And again, as, as always, if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to follow along as well. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. It says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once were, who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace 
who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Notice there, it's that same message of peace that goes out to, that went out to the Israelites and went out to the Gentiles. It's that same message of peace through Christ that they are brought into God's family. And it's, it's through the cross, it's through Christ's shed blood and his resurrection that we have that hope and that unity. And so even though we tend to create division, and, and sometimes as Christians we have been known to be divided, that should not be the case. We should be known for our unity in Christ by, because Christ has, has removed that sin from our lives, has removed that brokenness, has made us whole so that we can be one together. The law, which is often summed up with circumcision, as you see here in this passage as well, it's no longer what defines God's people. It's not about those who who are able to keep the law and earn God's love. The law was only a shadow pointing to Christ that showed us our utter sinfulness and our inability to redeem ourselves. It revealed our need for a Savior. So it's not that the law is unimportant anymore. The law is still important because it points us to our need for Christ. It shows us just how sinful we are and that we have, are unable and incapable of saving ourselves. And so it points us to our need for Christ. And when Jesus came in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five seventeen, he claims to, to fulfill the law. He says, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to get rid of it. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill it. And he did that in two ways. One, he was perfectly obedient to the Father when we were not able to be. Jesus was sinless. He, he was perfect, and, and he lived a life that we couldn't. And so in his perfect obedience to the Father, he fulfilled the law. But that's not all. After his, his perfect life, his sinless life, he then took the penalty of our disobedience upon himself on the cross. And so he fulfilled the law by living that perfect, obedient life to the Father, but he also fulfilled the law by taking our punishment upon himself. He fulfilled the law by taking the curse of the law on his own, on his own shoulders. And that's summed up in 2 Corinthians 5.21, I think one of the most succinct descriptions of the gospel. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what the gospel is all about. In his obedience, Christ took our sin upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. And so the gospel addresses all these misconceptions that, that the religious leaders were accusing Paul of in this passage. He said he spoke against God's people, but in reality, Paul preached a message of reconciliation. That through Christ, God was reconciling all people to himself. And that we are no longer defined by those man-made divisions that we often create. They said he preached against the law, but we see the law is fulfilled in Christ. It's a res- and so now we, we, we strive to live in, according to the law, not as a requirement for our salvation, but in response to the salvation that he has given us. And third, it says that we preached against the temple. 
And in a way that may be true, but, but again, the temple was no longer necessary because of Christ's sacrifice in, a, in the fulfillment of the law. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was that once-for-all sacrifice. All sin, past, present, and future in our lives has been forgiven because of Christ and what He's done for us. As we put our trust in Christ, we receive that cleansing and receive that forgiveness. And so the temple sacrifices and that whole system that was in place was no, is no longer necessary because of what He's done for us. And you can read about that, that, uh, that once-for-all sacrifice in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10-14. through 14. He is our high priest that has offered himself for us so that we can be brought near to God. And so we are, we are now the temple. God's people are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. His presence dwells within us, within his people. See, it's important that we know what we believe. I mentioned how it's, it's so important for us to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the gospel. The main thing is the good news of Jesus Christ, that he has saved us from our sins. He has redeemed us and welcomed us into his family so that we can now know him, but also share that good news with others. See, it's the gospel that is our hope. It's for ourselves, for our families, for our community, for the country, for the world. It's for our restoration, for our healing, and for our reconciliation. See, God can bring wholeness out of a broken world, and it's, it's through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that that's possible. And we can only have peace and unity in our horizontal relationships with other people if we have our peace and unity through our vertical relationship with Christ. See, God brings healing and reconciliation in both of those directions. Our vertical relationship, us and God, but also those horizontal relationships as we have relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ and the, in the surrounding community and world. It's only possible to have peace through Christ. But the gospel is not just for that. It's not just meant to be a personal thing. It also gives us courage and assurance. Paul is caught up here in false accusations, and we may face difficulties in this life just like Paul did. And for Paul, it was the gospel that gave him courage to stand firm in the love and grace of Christ. And for us, that is true as well. He told the, the Colossian church in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. He says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I love that picture being rooted and built up in him. See, like a, a tree that has roots deep in the ground that can sustain itself and, and weather the storm. That's what God calls us to do as well. We're supposed to be rooted in Christ, rooted in that relationship with him so that we can stand strong when the trials of this life come. Paul knew that, that nothing the angry mob or the Romans could do to him could possibly separate him from Christ. The good news of the gospel is that, that, that we cannot be torn from God's hand. Nothing that we can do, nothing that someone can do for us can, can, can unearn our salvation. Christ's death on the cross was once for all. And finally, the gospel is meant to be shared. The love, grace, and peace that we receive from Christ is not meant and cannot be just hoarded for ourselves. It needs to overflow and be passed on to others. We often act like the gospel is not that big of a deal. 
that works for us but isn't worth bothering our friends or family about. That's a very dangerous way of thinking. C.S. Lewis says in his essay, Christian Apologetics, Apologetics, to Christianity of false is of no importance, and if true is of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So it's important for us to know the truth of God's word and his gospel so that we can then pass it on to others. We want to be a disciple-making church. We want to be a church that's, I, I, I want us to be a church that's known for the gospel, known for being rooted in Christ, for growing together and serving the world. I believe that's what God is calling us to do. And so it's important for us to then take what God has done for us and share that with others. We want to, to pass that love and that grace on. And so in just a few moments, we're going to be sharing in communion together. And one of the aspects of communion, of course, we're reminded of our own sinfulness. We're reminded of the sacrifice that God made for us on the cross and, and, the, and the necessity of it. That we can't save ourselves. There's nothing we can do in our own power to save ourselves. It's, it's only through Christ and his death and his resurrection that salvation is possible. And so the bread and the cup are a reminder of the price he paid for us. And so there's, that, there's, a, there's a seriousness about it which is really important as we reflect on that reality and a thankfulness for all that God has done for us through Christ. But that's not all. Communion is also a reminder that we, we share it together. We share it with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a community aspect here as well. That as we take that bread in the cup, we, 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 we partake in the elements together as a, as a sign of unity and the peace that we have. And as you do that today, I want you to think, of course, reflect on the things that I just spoke about, but also reflect on the reality that, that God is equipping us, and it's through his, his presence in our lives that we're able to not just stay within the walls of this church, but to go out from here and share that good news and share that gospel with others. And, and ask God to help you to do that in such a way that you aren't misunderstood, but that we clearly focus on the gospel and make that our first priority. Let's pray together. Father, let's, we, we're just so grateful for all that you've done for us. And, and I pray now and, and, and that as we take communion in just a moment, that you would remind us of our need for you and equip us to then go out and share the good news of the gospel with everyone we meet. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able, I encourage you to stand and sing about our love for the Lord. Uh, Sing number 80, I Love You, Lord, out of our blue hymnals as we prepare for communion. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Again, there's, there's those two parts there I want you to remember. And I'm, I'm repeating myself because I think it's so important. If we reflect on the death and the resurrection of Christ so that we, we come to the table knowing and being thankful for what God has done for us. But then we also proclaim to the world, a lost, broken world, the hope that we have. So as you partake in the elements this morning, reflect on that and how you can then share that good news and proclaim the good news to others. I invite all who have received Jesus as Christ as your Lord and Savior to take this holy sacrament to your comfort. body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is broken for you. Feed on him now in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you. A new covenant that was made in his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. Take and drink, knowing that he died for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you that through his body broken and his bloodshed, that we have the forgiveness of sins and eternal life made available to us. I pray now that as, as, we, uh, as we go from this place, fill us with your, your love, fill us with your grace, fill us with your joy, so that we may go from here and pass that on to a world desperately in need of it. We pray for this all, all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now the, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace.